Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Howdy, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter and the founder of aggrad.com that connects students and young professionals to hiring agribusinesses. If you've been with us all 26 episodes up to this point, you've probably memorized that little spiel I give, but I really appreciate the download. And I think you are going to be very, very glad you downloaded this episode. Today, we are talking about international agricultural development, specifically in Africa. About four years ago, I had the opportunity to visit West Africa for the first time. I went to Liberia with a team led by Trent McKnight, our guest today, to collect data from farmers in the country. One of the poorest countries in the world that had been plagued for years by civil war. It was a life-changing experience. Most of all, being from an agriculture background that I am, I was very, very fascinated by the stories I heard from their farmers and the complicated issues that they face every day just to feed themselves and their family. Here in America, it can be very, very easy to lose sight of the fact that we have it so good. We have it so easy, really, in order to feed ourselves, feed our family, sustain life, when there's people in other parts of the world that work backbreaking work on long hours in extremely hot weather just to try to make sure that they can put food on the table. You know, think about your last meal. For me, it was a banana this morning. How easy it was for me just to go grab that banana and eat it. I had a couple rotten ones in, in the basket that I threw away. No big deal. Well, at the same time, there was somebody halfway across the world, a woman who walked extensively out to her farm, dug up some cassava, which is just like a sweet potato. The first three probably were rotten. And there's nothing she could do about it. So she moved it over. It was hot. It was muggy. It was extremely humid. And she finally found one cassava that she could use to bring in, prepare, which included boiling as well, boiling over an open fire, as well as mashing with a, uh, I think they call it a pestle, over and over and over and over again until she could come up with fufu, which is a very starchy, carbohydrate-based diet that uh, is great if you're hungry because it can kind of sit heavy in your stomach and, and take care of those hunger pains. The differences there are just stark, and the opportunity for improvement in a place like West Africa is significant, which you're going to hear from our guest today. So after my trip to Liberia, international ag development has had a special place in, in my heart. I have been very proud of the work I've done to try to support AgriCorps and some of their recruiting efforts and uh, continue to stay involved in the organization because I truly believe in it. So it really is an honor for me to bring on the podcast today, the founder of AgriCorps, Trent McKnight. If you haven't heard of AgriCorps, they're a Peace Corps-like organization that sends U.S. volunteers into places like Liberia and Ghana in order to develop agricultural education programs, 4-H programs, and to serve as sort of cooperative extension agents to disperse information and improve the local agricultural community. So a very worthy cause that Trent founded a few years ago, and we are now recruiting for their 2017 fellows, which are the one-year commitment college graduate can be a fresh college graduate or a college graduate from 40 years ago. It really doesn't matter to go and serve for one year 
in these places. It's it's a life-changing experience for the fellow as well as the communities they serve. So I hope you'll consider that. But even if that's not on your radar, very interesting information in this episode about what's going on in Africa and the potential from both a business and a human standpoint. So enjoy this episode with Trent McKnight of AgriCorps. Trent McKnight, the founder of AgriCorps, on the podcast today. Trent, thank you so much for taking the time on a Saturday morning to be with us. Thank you, Tim. Trent, you have traveled to several different parts of Africa, and I really want to talk about the continent here today and its importance on the future of the agriculture industry. As you've traveled, what sort of strikes you about Africa, agriculturally speaking? Potential. Africa has tremendous agricultural potential, both from its natural resources, from its human capital. They have some of the richest soil in the world. They are one of the largest growing populations in the world as well, that both provides supply of, 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 of a workforce and demand for increased, increased agricultural foodstuffs. But I think that just overall, it's its general potential to to be a, a huge player in the agriculture industry in the future. Great. And with all that potential, you know, that soil has been around there for a long time. The people have been there a long time. What What's held them back from experiencing the types of agricultural advancements that we see in, in the developed world? Well, I wouldn't really say that they've been held back any more than a one-month-old baby is held back from running a sprint. They're simply at a different place of development than we are. So we look at everything from an American agricultural lens, from an American development lens, and we are in the year 2016. And that's that's where we are from a development standpoint. Africa is on a different continuum, a different place along that continuum from a development standpoint. So nothing has really held them back. They're simply at a different place as a one-year-old is at a different place of human development than a 15-year-old or a 40-year-old. And, and one isn't better and one isn't worse. And, and if you look at what was it that, that helped us along our own development continuum to, to progress from where we were agriculturally speaking in 1850 to 1900 to 1950 to 2016. Science is, is one of the keys, and, and, and the science is, is there to help Africa unlock its, its potential agriculturally. And the second is education. Both are at a, at a, both at a higher education level, but also at a secondary and, and, and primary level of, of education to be able to tap into that human capital resource that I was discussing, that I, that I mentioned, mentioned earlier. So we, first you have to have, be able to have the science to unlock the natural resources, and I think that science is there. And second, you have to be able to tap into the human capital resource that, and the potential that it has, and that takes education. Great. Could you could you think of an example of either on the science side or the education side of kind of what you're talking about when you say science or when you say education, maybe an example of a transformation you've seen as a result of of growing in those areas? Sure. Well, I think I think maybe putting it into an American context might might help. And the history of a brief history of, of agricultural 
education in, in, in science and agricultural science in, in America over the last 150 years. President Lincoln signed the Morrill Land Grant Act in 1862-63, which was really the first piece of agricultural education legislation. And it created these colleges of agriculture across the, the country to teach agriculture to the common man. And that was really the first step. And then uh, about three decades later, uh, research stations, agriculture research stations were funded. And so uh, we began to build up and increase the sum total of knowledge of agricultural science. And around the year 1900, we had advanced our science of agriculture tremendously. However, it wasn't reaching the farmer. So we had all this science. So we had all these answers to unlock our own natural resource potential, but the farmer wasn't using it. So therefore, it was kind of useless. So we developed the extension service to extend the knowledge from these land-grant universities and these research stations to farmers. The problem then was that farmers didn't really want to pay any attention to these extension agents because they saw the extension agent as someone almost foreign to them, almost like a development person in, in Africa today. And so they were, they were resistant. And as one extension agent in Jack County, Texas said, if you can't teach an old dog new tricks, next year I'll start with the pups. And they began to develop corn clubs and tomato clubs and beef clubs, which later became 4-H and the Future Farmers of America. And it was, and this is kind of this, this connection of science to human capital. And that's what, what we did in, in America. And I think that's really what is needed in these in developing countries is the science is already there. So they, 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 they've already overcome the first hurdle. They, we have invested in, in research and new crop varieties and new methods of conservation agriculture and new methods of all sorts of things that meet them in their agroecosystems. But that science hasn't trickled down to the farmer yet. And, and, and that is what, is what is really needed. I see it in some um, very small ways. So my own organization, Agricor, works with students of agriculture and also their parents who happen to be farmers. And we see them beginning to adopt new practices. One, one, one example, we work with the Center for No-Till Agriculture in, in Ghana, which no-till agriculture has a certain connotation in the United States, and it's not the same type. It's really a conservation method of agriculture. It's really no burn. And what, what no-till means is no more slashing and burning of the jungle. There's, there's a better way of, of agriculture than, than that. And so they, they teach farmers how to mulch and preserve moisture in the soil and to preserve the nutrients of the soil so that they're not washed away year after year because of this slashing and burning. And one of the farmers that we had worked with, and he went to this training at the No-Till Center, was very excited to show us his farm. And he said, my farm is the only farm that has any corn that, is, that has sprouted and is growing because I use this new method of agriculture which preserved the moisture in my soil. And all the other farmers in this area, none of their corn has, has uh, germinated yet because they slash and burned, and the sun then evaporated the moisture from the soil. And, and he was excited that these other farmers were seeing his success and were beginning to, to adopt that. And so it's just these, these simple connections between science 
and farmers and humans that is really needed to to take agriculture to the next level. Yeah, that's a great example, both science and the education piece. You said something interesting in there about how people in Africa might view those of us coming over in the development space. In your experience, how do they view specifically Americans coming over there in a development capacity, generally speaking? First, very welcoming, but second, with a bit of skepticism. And the skepticism is really the same type of skepticism that someone in rural America might have for someone in urban America. You don't know us. How can you possibly prescribe a solution when you don't even know what our problems or what our potential solutions are? Hmm. So, so first, they're very welcoming. They're, they're not resistant to you. They're just skeptical that you don't know the whole picture of the problem. And I think that, that where much of development goes wrong is prescribing solutions to problems that we really don't know from ivory towers and cities and nations a, an, an ocean away. Because we haven't done the legwork to actually show up and, and, and listen to tr truly understand the problem first. Is that what you're saying? To, 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 to show up, to listen, and to be with them and to experience them and to experience what their, what, what, what their problems actually are. You can't go into the field and, and understand a people or their problems in an hour field visit. And you, and you certainly can't get them to believe that you understand their, their problems whenever you only show up for an hour field visit. So, so first, you have to actually be able to spend the time to, to legitimately know the problem. But second, you also have to spend even more time there to win the people over so that they believe that you know mm. what the actual problem is. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. What other mistakes do you see? I think that's really fascinating because there's there's billions of dollars going into development in, in places like Africa. What other mm. mistakes do you commonly see among development efforts? I think the most most common mistake is that it's not development at all. It's aid. And and, 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 and we confuse uh, those two concepts. So aid, and so, you know, to be very, to be very cliche, aid is giving a man a fish and development is teaching the man to fish. And, and, and it seems like those two ought to be distinct, but they often get overlapped within this international aid and development space. And there is a need for both. When there, is, when there is famine, obviously, we need aid. We need to be able to get food to people who are starving because there's no other way for them to, to live. But, but that should not replace our long-term development, which is developing, yes, their science, as we, as we talked about earlier, but also their, their infrastructure. And their infrastructure means markets. It means roads. It means education. All of the things that have allowed our science to benefit us are, are, are kind of packed into that, that infrastructure development. And that is really development. And, and, and too often that, that doesn't happen. What is something most Americans would be surprised to hear or to learn about agriculture in Africa? I think, and, and I don't know that this would necessarily come as, as a surprise as much as we just don't sit and think about it, but... They're the same as us. The, far, the farm, farmers in West Africa are the same as farmers in West Texas. They want to provide for their families. 
They're a little bit stubborn. They're a little bit resistant to change. They have a passion for the soil and for the land that they are working, and they take pride in that because it's the same land that their that their parents and their grandparents and their ancestors worked, just as a farmer or rancher in West Texas is proud of their farm or ranch and heritage there. And I think there's this this human bond and connection that happens. I kind of instruct our fellows who who all have an agriculture background. I say nobody cares what degree you have. Nobody cares if you have a master's of in, in, in animal science or in crop science or a PhD in it. These farmers don't care at all. They have a lot of PhDs who come out and, and, and speak down to them and tell them what to do. The way you connect with them is you start talking about your own farm and agriculture background. And so when we show up and, and I say, I'm a cattle rancher from Texas and this is what my operation is like, there's an immediate human to human connection. Even though my cattle ranch is nothing at all like their farm, there's this, there's this belief that we are, we are of the same cloth. We are of the same people. And so I think that, that the biggest shock is that farmers the world over are very similar and they have the same frustrations and the same joys and the same concerns. And, and I think that's the, the, the first and most important thing for us to, to know and understand. I think it's a good time right now, since you just mentioned being a cattle rancher, to tell a little anecdote on Trent. I was with Trent. We were driving through Liberia in West Africa, and we passed by a truck that had clearly had a bunch of eared cattle in it at one point, and, and those cattle got out, and they were trying to get the cattle back in the truck. And, and Trent immediately instructed the driver to pull over and started helping these these uh, Liberians try to put the cattle back in the truck. I, I don't know why that story just resonates with me. I think it speaks a lot to what you're saying where, you know, we're all the same. Who who that has livestock has never had that problem of if we just had like three more people, we could get these animals <laughs> where they're supposed to go. Exactly. And, and I don't know. I'll just remember that for a long time. What's something you can point to maybe a specific instance that really represents what excites you about the future of agriculture in Africa? Last February, I was in Bulhagu, which is a, a very poor community village in northern Ghana. We had a fellow there, Kelsey Barnes, who was, uh, who was teaching agriculture in the, in the junior high school. And then right behind the school was an, an irrigation dam and, 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 and kind of fertile valley that many farmers were going to, to work. And so she was, she was working with the farmers there. And I was visiting with the headmaster of the school, so kind of her boss there locally. And he was so excited that Kelsey had been there. And she had been in place for about seven months at, at that particular time. And he said, our students just took their high school entrance exams. And... And 45% of our students indicated that they wanted to study agriculture in high school next year. And I said, that's wonderful. He goes, yes, and it is all because of Kelsey. I said, that's wonderful. How, how many students last year said they wanted to study agriculture? And he said, zero. So what, I, what, what excites me is that, too, is, is that there are young people who are excited about agriculture. 
And too often, we want to say, ah, students just have no interest. They don't, they don't whether, whether it's in, in, in America or in West Africa, young people just have no interest in agriculture. It doesn't, doesn't excite them. It doesn't, any of these things. But what I saw here was that that's not true, that these young people in this, in this rural poor village in northern Ghana were interested in agriculture, but they weren't interested in being poor. And the only form of agriculture that they had ever seen before forced them into a life of subsistence, subsistence and poverty. And they knew they didn't want to be that. But with our AgriCorps fellow, Kelsey Barnes, being there, she had shifted a paradigm to show them that you don't have to, to be, uh, that the farmer doesn't equal peasant, that you can be a business person and a farmer and make money. And that that, it, that unlocked their excitement for the industry. I love that example. For those that are just learning about AgriCorps for the first time on this show, could you tell us sort of what makes AgriCorps uniquely suited to do just that, what, what Kelsey did? So AgriCorps takes American, young American agriculture professionals with an agriculture background to be agriculture teachers in junior highs and senior high schools working with 4-H and future farmer type programs. And I think what, what separates us from, from other types of, of, of organizations or even the Peace Corps is that we are taking agriculture people, fellows who have a college degree in agriculture, 4-H or FFA experience, and production and a production agriculture background. And we're using agriculture people to do agriculture development. So whenever Kelsey is, is there in in her community, uh, she's able to talk about the farm that she was raised on. And that was one of the things that, that her headmaster also addressed. He said, when she talks about her father and her mother, who are also farmers back in America, it excites these students because they don't believe that Americans are farmers. And Kelsey coming here has shown them differently. She has, has shown them pictures from her farm and shown them pictures of her working the farm and her parents working the farm. And that all of a sudden made it okay to be a farmer. And so what sets us apart is that we are taking these agriculture people to do agriculture development. Great. We have a lot of listeners that are very entrepreneurially minded. Some of our most popular episodes are those where we talk to entrepreneurs and people doing kind of new and exciting things in agriculture like you have with AgriCorps. I'm curious for those folks, what are some of the biggest opportunities you see from an agribusiness perspective that maybe somebody here who's an entrepreneur in agriculture may look to Africa and see that potential you described? What are some ways that you could see business opportunities in agriculture? Well, as I started off the, the, the program this morning uh, with the word potential, I mean, I Africa in general across the continent just has so much potential because it only has, it literally has only one way to go and that is up. Uh, economically, productiv pro productively, all of these different things. So, so with that, there are tremendous opportunities within agribusiness and food systems, both in developing I mean, the, the, the fertilizer needs and the seed needs of African countries is great. So, so often, Tim, when you and I were doing research in Liberia and we would sit down 
and talked to a farmer. And one of the questions we asked was, do you use fertilizer? And, and the looks on the faces of the farmer when we would ask that question was what was so telling. They would look at us like, where would I get, where would I get fertilizer from? That's Even, exactly the response I got every single time. They'd hold up their hands like their hands were empty. Yeah, my, you know, my hands are up right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they'd hold up their hands like they're empty. Like, where am I supposed to get fertilizer? Yeah, where, where, where am I supposed to get fertilizer? Yeah. So, so you ask, like, why are you even asking me this question? It's insulting because, because there's no place to get it. They knew what fertilizer was. They knew the benefits of fertilizer and were probably willing to pay something for that. But it didn't even exist on the market. So, so, so I think there are tremendous opportunities there from selling simple, improved tech, getting simple, improved technologies to farmers, such as fertilizer and improved seed and, and then improved implements and just starting with improved tools and then moving on to, you know, uh, mechanical and, and all these other things. There are tremendous opportunities there for at a, at a very uh, basic entrepreneurial level. From a, from, a, from a bigger picture standpoint, as, they, as, as Africa continues to improve economically, more consumers are going to come online. And, and, and what wealthier, middle-class consumers want are, is value-added. And, and I think that from that standpoint, there is a tremendous opportunity for America and America American agribusiness and America food systems to be able to add value to, to, to food, to agriculture commodities, to sell to the growing consumer base in, in Africa as well. So I think that there's, there's a lot of different opportunities there that are just because there is so much potential. Great. And so I, I think a lot of folks that are learning about AgriCorps for the f- first time and, and getting to hear some of these stories from you about African agriculture, they're going to get excited. What types of sort of call to actions or what outlets could they have for that excitement? What, what would you encourage them to do if they wanted to get involved with AgriCorps? Well, we have two things happening within, within the, the, the coming month. Our applications are out and due December 1st for, for fellows for the, the 2017 class. And we're looking for young people who have an agriculture background, who are self-motivated, who are adventurous, who are entrepreneurial, who want to build something, who want to have build an impact, who want to uh, share their agriculture knowledge with others, and they want to get their hands in the soil, and they want to work with young people and work with students and work with farmers. And we need, we need more fellows to be able to, to do our work. And so if you or someone that you know is interested in, in, in international agriculture development, sign up for, for, for AgriCorps and you can go to our website and, and learn more about AgriCorps and, and find the application there. Second, if maybe living in, in Ghana or Liberia is not for a whole year, is not on your to-do list, but you still want have, have an interest, we need, we need financial support from people who do uh, like the idea of what we're doing and want to support 4-H and future farmer type programs in Ghana and Liberia. And we are starting a, crowd, a crowdfunding campaign. We are launching it on Tuesday, on November 15th, for an entire month where we are raising $40,000 to fund one fellow. That cost covers all of their direct and indirect expenses for an entire year. And if you think about the uh, starting salary for an ag teacher in the United States, that is comparable a little bit less 
than that. So that $40,000 will fund one fellow in, uh, in the 2017 core. And we welcome anything from $10 to all $40,000, whatever, whatever you can fit into your budget. We need that, that funding to be able to do the work that we do. So that will, will be launched on our crowdfunding site, but you can also go directly to our website to, uh, to find more information about that. Fantastic. And that website is www.agricore.org. So that's A-G-R-I-C-O-R-P-S. Don't forget the S. Agricore.org for that to get involved either to apply to be a fellow. You only have until December 1st. So if you're listening to this in November of 2016, make sure you apply right away. And then also get involved in that crowdfunding campaign. This episode is going live on Wednesday, the what would that be? The 16th, 16th of November. So the crowdfunding mm. campaign is now live. Uh, where can they go for the crowdfunding campaign? Do you have a URL for that yet? Or should they just go to the website? They can just go to the website and, and there will be a, a, a link there to, to send them over to, uh, to everything. Also follow us on Facebook. That's a, a great way to stay connected. We continue to publish blogs and stories and, and photos of our fellows working in agriculture in Ghana and Liberia. And so if this is of interest to you and you just kind of want to learn more, our, our Facebook page is a, is a great way to do that. It will also tell, us, tell you more about the upcoming crowdfunding campaign and keep you, uh, keep you looped in there. And that's just facebook.com forward slash agricor, A-G-R-I. C-O-R-P-S. Yeah, and I will echo that. The blogs that the, the AgriCorps fellows are coming out with, I think they come out every Monday. If, yes. you, if you enjoyed some of the stories that Trent shared, you need to follow them and then also mark it to go to the top of your newsfeed because I read them every week and they are, they keep me motivated. I mean, it, it's just really, really exciting that the work that they're doing. Trent, I, I can't thank you enough. I know you all run a very lean operation at AgriCorps so that the most possible money can go to the cause. And so I pre I know you're stretched pretty thin as a result of that. So thank you for taking the time. And I'm excited for the future of agriculture in Africa. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you're listening, you have an interest in agriculture and probably a passion for agriculture. Now, as I've said many times, our industry exists to solve problems, problems such as food, shelter, clothing, utilization of resources. There are so many problems out there in both our country and more severely in the developing world. If you have that passion for agriculture and you truly believe in the problems we solve, I highly encourage you to get involved in some level with AgriCorps and the work AgriCorps is doing. Perhaps that means applying to be a fellow in the 2017 year, or perhaps that means getting involved with this crowdfunding campaign, at minimum contributing a, a few dollars and sharing it on social media so we can get the word out about the important work AgriCorps is doing. As always, I would love to hear from you about this episode and others on Twitter, especially at Tim Hammerich. That's at T-I-M-H-A-M-M-E-R-I-C-H. Thanks again for listening and the work you do in the agriculture industry. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit aggrad.com. That's A-G-G-R-A-D.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.